Carl Wazinski here. You're listening to the Rising as One podcast. Hello and welcome to this, unfortunately, season-ending episode of the Rising as One podcast. I'm joined by Kyle. Aaron will probably be with us soon. How are you doing, Kyle? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm doing a lot better than I was uh was yesterday. Yesterday morning I woke up a little hungover and a little depressed, but you know, it's uh it's another day and we've got this amazing team to talk about. We do, and part of the reason for the hangover and also the depression, I mean there are layers to it, but you know, fourteen times we had hosted a dollar beer night before this. Every time we had come out victorious, this time we are on the short end of the 2-1 stick. Not even in extra time, but in the full 90 minutes, uh, we fall 2-1 to a team that's becoming a real nemesis for us, Real Monarchs. I mean, three weeks ago, I would not have put them on a... You know how MySpace, they used to have like a top five or whatever. Some of the phone companies would too. Mm-hmm. I would have maybe put them at like four or five on that list. I mean, now they're like probably number two if not number one as far as like teams that we have a legit rivalry with yeah yeah and uh, you know it maybe hasn't been the most you know fun rivalry on twitter for the fans and all that but i mean on the field i i would have to say you know this is probably turning into one of the best um just you know going back years we we haven't even gotten a result against monarchs here in phoenix um, and I, you know, yeah, like you said, three weeks ago, they, they end our home unbeaten streak and, and take home that four corners cup. And then, you know, th- this past Friday night, um, it, they really have, you know, become a thorn in our side and, and it's, you know, they're definitely one of our rivals now you would say, and I think they will be one for years to come. And I mean, they kind of single-handedly ruined our season, like, yeah, I mean, you could you could like throw New Mexico in there with the Open Cup, but I don't think that we were too impacted by the Open Cup. I mean, we had the chance to win four Corners Cup on our home pitch. All we had to do is beat Monarchs, and they beat us to win the Cup. Then, three weeks later, again, on our pitch, you know, we have a dollar beer night. We've never lost on dollar beer night. And we have our, you know top team in and they beat us again this time when we're ahead yeah yeah and and that's the biggest thing is i mean it's it really feels you know like a lot a lot of things ended in that match i think it was you know like 20 or 21 matches straight where if we score first we win um oh no that that they did a few weeks well that was three weeks ago though yeah. The the home unbeaten streak they ended, our chance at the Four Corners Cup they ended, our dollar beer night streak they ended, you know our season they ended. So it really, you know, yeah, they, I mean, if if you want to get into you know the the pain that Monarchs have put us through, it's it's been quite a bit. Yeah, and all in the last month, and and most of it coming on Friday night. So uh, before we get any further into that aspect, let's get to the match itself. Um, the starting lineup was impacted by two things. The one huge thing is news circulating that 
Dumboya was actually hurt and would not be able to start for Phoenix Rising. And so that forced the back line to get shifted around a little bit. That forces Whelan to go to the right back spot with Farrell and Cochran occupying the center back spots. Dia staying in his accustomed left back spot. Um, that had an impact. And then the other thing, Beccaro and Lambert in the midfield, but Joey Calistri getting the nod over Jose Aguinaga. Um, definitely an eyebrow raiser. I mean, which which of those do you think impacted the team more? Um, I mean, for me, I'm going to have to say the Dumbuya substitution just because, you know, Monarchs were able to create a lot on the flank. And actually, you know, I was watching the replay, and, and in the 31st minute, though Monarchs didn't score, um, they were able to steal the ball away from Whelan out on the wing and created a great opportunity before their first goal. And I think, you know, they had that fury of shots on our net after we went up 1-0. So really, I think, you know, he was a player that we missed a lot, Dimbuya. And, um, you know, it's a bummer being that we won't get to see him till possibly next season, hopefully next season. I think, you know, hopefully he'll be back. Yeah, for sure. Um, and stay tuned for part two of this podcast where we do an off-season preview um, where we go through the roster and we predict which guys will be back, which guys won't. Uh, with signings happening pretty quickly after the end of the season, we thought it was important to do it this week. So stay tuned for that. We'll get through this doom and gloom together. But um, <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think that that missing Doom Boy on the right back is huge, not only because of the defensive difficulties it creates, but also it seemed like Doom Boya and Asante and Baccaro have like a good chemistry up that wing. And there are a lot of times where Dumboya would be able to play long balls for Asante. And it just felt like that element was missing. You know, Asante was still getting the ball at times, but he was having to track back further for it. Or it would have to come from Baccaro or Lambert. It wasn't, we didn't have that element where you can get a nice long ball up the right wing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, you mentioned Asante having to having to come back to receive the ball. And I think, you know, that puts us at a huge disadvantage because when he's able to be out wide and, you know, get the ball with a little bit of space and then be one on one, we've seen he, he can, you know, put these defenders on a spin cycle. So not having that space, having to come in, it, you know, it, it makes it much more difficult for him to take a touch and then either pass or move with the ball. So yeah, I mean, you know, we said, I really think, you know, Dumbuya was a huge miss for us throughout the season. I think he sparked a lot of attacks um, with his play along the wing. And, you know, he just made those defenders and those players um, on notice, I think, for the defensive side. You know, they couldn't take any plays off with Dumbuya on the pitch. Definitely. And, um, you know, I also want to shout out the Monarchs a little bit. I mean, I don't think we emphasized in the last episode just how good their form was coming into this match. I mean, Monarchs had a very slow start in their season. However, since about the mid, like about June, July, they really kicked it up a notch. And I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking for the last time that they lost a match. Um, you'd have to go back to September 21st for their last loss. And then, you know, even so, since September seventh, they had one, two, seven wins, one draw, and one loss coming into our match. 
Now they've won eight of their last ten with only one loss in that span. So this team has had the best form of any team in the Western Conference. Absolutely. And, I mean, I, I think, you know, their poor start to the season and, and, you know, some of these other teams, Reno and Fresno, having great seasons, you know, it, it made them settle for fourth in the table. But I think on form and just results, um, Monarchs were easily the second best team in the Western Conference. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really, you know, they were right there for the taking, I think. And, and they've shown that they deserve to be in this in this Western Conference final. No doubt, and, and it's the quality of the results, too. I mean, coming into our match, their previous two matches, they beat Sacramento Republic and Orange County by a combined 9-2. So if you have any doubts about the scoring capabilities of this squad, if you have any doubts about, you know, are they a legitimate contender, beating Sacramento and Orange County by a combined 9-2 coming into our building that should have told you how much of a test this match was going to be. And that's why I was saying I, I thought it would take extra time to get past them. Um, that prediction almost came true. We'll get to that later. We just could not buy a second goal. But, um, but I mean, that's, that's the kind of threat that they brought coming in. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I mean, you know, I was just looking back at, you know, on their current form and who they, you know, recently played in, in the end of the league season. And yeah, going back, I mean, all the teams that they'd either won or drawn against Reno, Orange County, Phoenix, Austin, Sacramento. I mean, they're getting results against playoff, you know, teams, teams that, you know, are difficult to get, get results against. And I think, I mean, they've, they've had the best form and they've, they've really stepped it up and, I, you know, I agreed with you that that match, you know, it probably would go extra time. I think we were saying 3-2 um, after extra time for Phoenix. But, uh, I, I mean, you really, I think for Monarchs, they've been fortunate in that, you know, they haven't had to go through extra time so far. They've been fresh for all their matches, and um, they're going to be hosting this Western Conference final at altitude, and I think they have a real advantage. I'd have to say the same. Um, but, you know, let's... We're not here to talk about the Western Conference Final. We're here to talk about our match. <laughs> so we'll get right into that. Um, off the bat, interesting decision by Monarchs to only play three at the back. You know, most teams, and even Monarchs in most of their matches, would play a 4-4-2. Um, Joe Lowry mentioned this in his Rising Tactics recap, which is a must-read for this week. He mentioned that they went with a 3-5-2 look. And basically saying, you know, Hit us with your best shot. We can match up with you. And the reason they went 3-5-2, I think, is because they knew that they could create more havoc in the midfield that way. Early on, it didn't work out too well for them. We actually had most of the possession. No really strong chances at goal. Um, and, you know, part of that comes down to the uh, inability to get stuff on target. But they didn't have much going either. And in the 25th minute, we talk about getting an early start. Phoenix Rising wins a ball in the midfield. Um, Solo plays it to Adam John. Adam John plays a terrific through ball to Junior Flemings. And Flemings, with a very composed touch, a much more difficult shot than it looks to the naked eye, plays it past Ochoa, you know, perfectly, perfectly rolled in, and we're up 1-0. And... 
Kyle, where were you feeling at this point? I mean, at, at this point, you know, I was I was about five beers deep, and uh, we were up one nil in the twenty fifth minute, and you know, I thought, you know, this is it. We're we're going. You know, this is this is getting us. You know, the three one victory right now. We're on our way. And, um, I mean, it, it, you know, really, I think everyone was so, you know, excited. Everyone was a little bit tense in the stands up until that point because both teams had had, you know, a, a few opportunities, but nothing amazing. But then, you know, solo to John to Flemings and, and you know, Flemings just an amazing goal. It looks like the ball's, you know, just trickling in the back of the net. And, um, I mean, it, it was just ecstasy in the supporter section at that point. And everyone, you know, was just thinking you know we got another 65 minutes left of this we got we got plenty of more goals to go um and then it seemed like right after that as soon as the ref blew the whistle after our goal uh, a flip a switch was flipped for the monarchs and you know they uh they really came out then at that point i thought in that 25th minute i would agree because to that point they hadn't shown a whole lot they had good defensive discipline they definitely had numbers back for the most part and that's kind of why it worked out for us, is it was one of those few moments where they didn't have a lot of guys back, and we just hit them with a perfectly timed counterattack. A vintage Phoenix Rising goal. After that, we actually did win a corner, and, and maybe on another night, Kev Lambert puts us on target, um, but he missed a header. But after that, things start to change. Even before they score, you know, first they have an easy little shot, but then the 32nd minute, you had alluded to this before, um... Whelan gives the ball away on the right side, and it creates an opportunity that Monarchs should have scored. Um, ultimately, Jack Blake gets the ball on the right side of the box, slides it to Michael Chang. Michael Chang really doesn't have much in the way of him and the goal, and somehow he puts the ball three inches wide of the right post. And at that point, you're thinking, whew, that's a huge break that we just caught. Like, that's a sign that this is going to be our night, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, so fortunate there. Our defense, you know, definitely had a question asked of them. And, um, you know, so fortunate that Chang takes that poor, you know, well, not even a poor touch, just sends it slightly wide. I think if he takes it with his his left, his right foot rather than the left there, it's it's in. But, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, just really, you know, fortunate and thinking, okay, well, we, we dodged a bullet there. Let's go, you know, shoot him with our own and, and get up 2-0. Um, but, you know, really what it was was a sign of things to come. Yeah, and I'll say it was a poor miss by him, but it didn't matter much because seconds later, and I do mean seconds later, off the goal kick, the ball gets up to Kev Lambert near the midfield, and I don't know if he was trying to pass the ball or like do a cool dribble move, but the ball just got stuck under his feet. He literally almost tripped on the ball, and that allowed Real Monarchs to steal it, come down with a vengeance, and create a great chance. Ultimately, he gets to Douglas Martinez, who slides it to Jack Blake. Jack Blake being marked okay by the defense, not exceptionally well. Um, you know, Kev Lambert and Cochran were kind of standing near him, but not not super close, but it wasn't terrible either. And Blake just rips a shot across his body. Um, Lubin is able to get his hands on it, but it had so much power that it snuck inside the, the post. All of a sudden, we're tied 1-1. And you can't really blame Lubin there. It's just, it really was a great shot, but it was all set up by a completely unnecessary giveaway. Yeah. And I mean, you said it seconds later. I looked 
I mean, it was 30 seconds after that earlier Mikel Chang chance. You, you watch the so, replay, and they're showing the replay from the Chang chance, and they have to cut out from it to show Martinez on the 18. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, I mean, it, but the, my thing here, you know, is this is, you know, kind of what happens when you play out of the back. You you give up some of these opportunities sometimes, and, you know, Phoenix just was not ready. And, um, I mean, a great shot from Blake. You're bummed that Lubin's not able to get a little bit more behind it because, you know, I think on another night he's able to to make that save and sends it out um, for a corner. But, uh, I mean, just, you know, a few unfortunate sequences, and it turns into that equalizer for, for Monarchs. And um, to get it so quickly, you know, this is reminiscent of what Phoenix would do. You know, we go down, uh, we come back in the next seven minutes and get a goal. Um, but Monarchs were the team to do it this time. Absolutely. It's it's a taste of our own medicine for sure. And yeah, I, you can't really blame Lubin, though. It, it really was a great shot. And, you know, it would have been a good save had Lubin. Oh, been. yeah. It would have been like a save of the week candidate. I mean, you know, it, it, I, I'm just saying we've seen so many great saves from Lubin that I think, you know, maybe if he gets a better jump or something on it, he's able to make this save. But, you know, it just it wasn't meant to be. And like you said, a great shot. And, you know, you can't you can't uh, blame the goalie in that situation. We shouldn't have been there. Correct. And then seconds later, we give the ball away again. Um, and this time it was, I think, Dia that got it stolen. And then and then he was out of position. And Chang again gets a ball from Jack Blake. And just drills it over the bar. I mean, Lubin probably had it covered. Um, he chose not to touch it, and it just went over. But still, a very clear opportunity for them. And that's three very clear opportunities in three minutes. And at that point, you're like, what is going on? Like, this is terrible. Yeah, I mean, it did not... It, it seemed like we were shell-shocked. You know, really, it, it seemed like... We did not know how to react. We were getting out-muscled and outworked and outplayed on our own field. And, um, I mean, it, you know, you see it. Whelan's yelling at the guy saying, come on. But it, it seems like, you know, none of them really are sure um, of what they need to be doing right now. They all seem like they were playing with, you know, just a bit of, you know, tense shoulders. It just seemed like all of them, you know, had, had a knot in their back and they weren't able to just be loose and, and play Phoenix Rising football. Yeah, really, with the exception of that one goal we scored, it was a very tense. Um, there weren't a lot of guys trying to make, like, X-Factor runs, you know? It was just a lot of passing, nope. like, fullback to fullback, and then midfield, and then the midfield has to kick it back to the fullbacks because there isn't anything developing up top. And then a hopeful long ball that really gets nowhere. That was... That's how it looked for a lot of the first half. Um and then not too much going on until the 43rd minute where, again, this sequence wasn't as obvious of just a terrible giveaway. But it still was us just being sloppy. In the build-up, there were a couple times where we actually won the ball off of Monarchs. And we could have built possession. And we could have played it back. We could have been more deliberate or switched the field or something. And instead... uh. You know, we just get a little sloppy with the ball. Cochran tries to play a crossfield ball that gets intercepted. And then Monarchs are on the run again. This time, this time uh, they get the ball to Michael Chang on the right wing. And 
he kind of lulls the defense to sleep on this one because again, I think it was Kev and Cochran that were that were standing near the guy. I mean, they were definitely they were definitely not giving him a free run, but I think they didn't realize that he could pull the trigger at any second because Chang just had a little sneaky shot that megged. I want to say I, I don't know who it megged. It might have megged Farrell, but it got through his legs yeah. and it just caught. It was Farrell. Yeah, and it, it was. Just, and it just caught Lubin by surprise because he didn't think the ball would get through or be placed that well. You know, kudos to Chang, who had just had a couple chances that he missed to have the confidence still. But, again, it just felt like there wasn't that 100% intensity. There was something a little bit off after that first goal, and it, it just looked like we were maybe playing at 85 or 90%. We weren't playing at 100%. And they absolutely took advantage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's that's. I mean, looking back, you know, at that play and, and, and what you were saying, you know, you have Cochran and Lambert both right there. And and for me, you know, when you have you know Chang has Lambert behind him and Cochran in front of him, and he's able to receive that ball and then you know turn and, and move with it. Um, it just it seems like these guys aren't going 100 percent and i think you know on another day we see lambert get in there i mean he wasn't even on a yellow card yet i i'm used to seeing you know some some nastier challenges from him and yeah it's in the box but i still think you know he has the ability to make make a play on the ball and then i mean chang you know he he dribbles past cochran and you know up to farrell and then shoots through his leg with that quick little shot and he catches everyone off guard um, I mean, in looking back, you know, Whelan's standing there and just sees the ball and turns real quick, and, and Lubin's just not able to react in time to cover it up. And, uh, I mean, just a great goal from Monarchs. It really was. This is a goal that, you know, Rising scored goals like this um, throughout the season. Asante's able to get it done in this fashion, and, and this time it's Mikhail Chang. Yeah, another another taste of our own medicine. There have been matches this year where it's been the opposite, where it only takes five, ten minutes in soccer to ruin a whole night's worth of good work. You look at the Los Dos match, where we kind of jumped on them out of nowhere. You look at the Timbers 2 match, where we came back at the end. You look at the the first Timbers 2 match in our building. And the same could be said about the uh, Tacoma match, where we yep, scored three right at the end. I was just going to say end. that. So we've been on the other end of it, and now here, we're the victims. You know, we lose a little bit of our intensity, and they are just on us, and they make us pay. And really, it was deserved. It was thoroughly deserved. You cannot have those lapses, even for 10 minutes in the playoffs, or you will get burned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, is, you know, this is... This is do or die. This is playoffs. It's the Western Conference semifinal in your own stadium. Um, I mean, this, you know, that in those, you know, those moments, it just seemed like, you know, these were performances we sh we should have been having, you know, in June when we were, you know, winning out and not letting in goals. Um, so really, yeah, I mean, this is just this is the wrong time to have these kinds of of moments and collapses in the defense. And it, I mean, it, it really was, you know, those few minutes, like you said, but they can, you know, we saw they can ruin the whole night and ruin. Um, and that's really, you know, for me, even though we're down 2-1 at that point and going into halftime, 
I still had plenty of confidence in this team that, you know, we still have 45 minutes, you know, to get one goal. And then we have, you know, another 30 to go out there and get another. So, you know, I, I didn't think, you know, there was no doubt um, in me, in this team, in our ability to go out and get something from this match. No, we did still have that whole half left. And you knew that we were going to be on the front foot and attacking. Uh, but again, kudos to Monarchs for just being really well organized in the back. There were so many sequences where they had eight, nine guys behind the ball. They weren't parking the bus. There's a difference between parking the bus and being organized like that. Because Monarchs was still able to go and attack on their own end. And there were stretches where they were taking it to us. Uh, more so than Austin, but they were very well disciplined. And uh, another interesting point early in the second half that just kind of added to the frustration of the fans is Solomon Asante picking up a yellow card for simulation. What were your thoughts on that? I, I think, you know, I think he was a victim of, you know, maybe some of the other uh, challenges and, and calls that he's had go his way this season. Um, for me, you know, that was this ref up until that point, I thought, you know, he, he'd done a pretty good job at, you know, keeping control of this match and, you know, keeping the card in his pocket and just letting letting it play out. Um, but this for me was, was just not a good call. I think maybe Asante's frustration stemmed from a few seconds earlier, it looked like he might have drawn a foul that the ref didn't call. And so then he was really trying to earn the foul. But yep. He kind of went down, like, I wouldn't say it was, should have been a yellow card for simulation, but it probably should have been a no call. Which is fine, and, and, I, and I'm with you there. Um, and, you know, I, I think everyone will acknowledge that, you know, Asante is that kind of player, and there's a lot of players like it that, you know, it, even if you were previously fouled and it didn't earn a foul, well, then what, what do you have to do to, you know, earn a foul, as they say, and, and you know, I think Asante, you know, was just doing what he saw and, and, you know, trying to show this ref that this constant infringement, you know, is his, impeding his ability to play. But, um, you know, he went too far and, and sadly got that yellow. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, the ref should have thrown out a yellow at that point. But but obviously he had a problem with it and, and didn't want to see any more of it. So uh, he let that be known. Yeah. And I mean, one thing I will talk about him more before the end of the match but one thing that you have to at least respect about the match is he did call it both ways. He was going to let the guys play, and it was a consistent application of that. There were calls that both teams felt they should have had that did not get called, but it did not... I mean, yeah, it had a small impact, but it wasn't enough where it became the story of the match because he was consistent, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, if he calls some penalty and it, it ends up influencing the match, um, I think you have to be much more upset about that. I mean, we got beat by the Monarchs, not the referee. Correct. Uh, that being said, you know, Phoenix is trying to get into this match, but, you know, you go through the match summary and you see a lot of blocked shots, and that goes to Monarchs' defensive organization, but also Phoenix not creating a lot of high-quality looks. Most of our chances, and we've been harping on this the last few weeks, have been coming from outside the box, set-piece plays. We haven't been generating a lot from open play. And I don't know if that's because teams warmed up to us. They saw what we were doing during the summer months, 
and decided to start playing us differently because all the films out there maybe that's part of it maybe it's that we're not getting some of the calls that we got earlier in the season but it's it's been much more of a slog and so you do have these chances where solomon's getting blocked outside the box kev is getting blocked outside the box john beccaro has a ball that comes to him outside the box a great chance that he just completely missed um but then there there is that that controversial moment around the 63rd minute at a time where we had made no subs um asante plays a very strong ball up for junior flemings and junior flemings takes a great first touch on this because most guys would not be able to corral it the way he did. He he chests it just outside the box. And then he is taken down by, um, it looks like Holt, um, Eric Holt for Monarchs. And there is no foul called. The, yeah. the announcers, the announcers um, on the replay, they said, wow, you know, we've seen them called for less. But Devin Kerr thought that it was a correct no call. What's your take on this play? I mean, for me, you know, what I saw in the supporter section, um, Flemings, you know, receives the ball and, and makes his way into the box. And, and, you know, Holt, you know, he really doesn't have anything on it, just throws his body into Flemings and, and knocks him down. And, and, you know, for me, the referee, I mean, he just, he wasn't even interested. He wasn't having it. He just told Flemings, get up, didn't even care. And, um, you know, it, it, it's frustrating looking back because, you know, that would have been a great opportunity. But, I mean, you could also say, well, it's a penalty and we haven't been clinical um, at those as of late before the Austin match as well. So so we'll see if, if that even did turn into a goal. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's frustrating just that, you know, it, from what the fans saw and from where I was at, it did look like a penalty. Um, but you know, Kerr is a professional and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's, you know, been in that situation, um, himself as a defender. I think he's a little bit biased to that, you know, but, uh, it's, you know, it's one of those that we'll get into it later that Monarchs had their own. Um, so you can't, you can't really say that, uh, you know, Phoenix's night was ruined by that. Yeah. I mean, you can't say that, but you can say it impacted the match because, yep, what it would have changed what, the momentum big time. If you know, it, it, no matter what, awarding the penalty I think changes the momentum, and it makes Monarchs play you know with with you know a little more sensibility. I think what we've seen this year, and again, a lot of different people have like different feelings on on plays like that. I don't know what the refing is like in the Eastern Conference. I know that some officials allow more stuff to go than others. All I can go off is what I've seen as a fan who's watched almost every Phoenix Rising match this year. And I have seen that kind of play be consistently called a penalty in our matches or a foul in our matches. I've I've seen less than that called as penalties. The the game-winning penalty that we got against El Paso comes to mind where there was significantly less contact on Adam John. And on that play, it really looked more like John was really had no options and was just going for that. Whereas here, Flemings looked like he was mostly standing his ground, and then Holt did extend his arm a little bit. You know, we've seen much less called, and we've seen that kind of play consistently called. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's you know that's the reason why I'm 
I personally feel that, you know, it, it should have been called a penalty because um, we've seen it before, you know, and, and that's, and that's you know, what, what uh, you know, can create some frustrations, like you said, with, you know, different referees and, and what their standard of, of what a foul is and what a penalty is. And, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, the, the Eastern Conference is known for its defensive play and, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe in the Eastern Conference that's not a penalty, but I think here in the Western Conference that you, we see that called a lot, a lot. And we've seen, like you said, much softer penalties be awarded. For sure. Um, ultimately, you don't want to be, and I was talking with Phil Grooms from the USL show about this, you ultimately don't want to be in a spot where you're relying on a call like that yep exactly exactly and that's why you know i can't you know can't you can't get too upset that it wasn't awarded and um you know it, it that's not the call that you know ruined our night or, or ended the game um and we shouldn't have been in that situation it would have been great to have a little bit of luck have it go our way um and then you know just need to score one more goal to, to get the win but uh you know that that wasn't how it played out phoenix was gonna have to earn these goals uh, correct and I will say, though, you know, part of why a 20-match win streak is so hard to replicate and why I don't think it will be replicated is those were the kinds of calls, those are the kind of breaks that we were consistently getting during that streak. And yeah. it's, it sucks to be on the other end, but, you know, these things happen. Soccer is a very low-scoring, subjective game at times, and uh, you don't have the benefit of VAR at this level, and Look, some, sometimes breaks are not going to go your way. We had a lot of breaks go our way earlier in the season. Um, here, it doesn't go our way. But we we move yeah. on. Yeah, go for it. I was just going to say, I mean, you create your own luck. And uh, it, while it would have been great to, to get that, you know, really, we, sh we should have been doing more to uh, to not even need to rely on a penalty. Correct. So we, we do move forward. Um, Jack Blake picks up a yellow card. Only uh, the second yellow card given in this match, and the first one to Monarchs. Um, as we had mentioned before, the head ref, John Freeman, was letting the guys play. But it was consistent on both sides, so you can't you can't be too upset about that. Um, and then again, more of the same, you know, blocked shot by from Joey Calistri. Uh, Asante puts a shot on target, but not a really threatening shot in the 72nd minute. And then we finally get a great chance when Joey Calistri, um, one of his few contributions last night, he wins a great free kick. Um, Monarchs look like they're about to clear the ball, but Calistri runs from way, way out of his position to get a toe poke on the ball, and then he gets brought down, and it's a very obvious free kick in a dangerous spot. John Baccaro and Dia step over it. Baccaro puts it in, and this is the chance... This is the chance, more than the penalty, where you you have to say, this is why we lost. You know, If you can't put this in, you don't deserve to move on. A great ball played in by Vaccaro. Adam John gets up high on it, puts it across goal. Maybe a worse goalie would have let this in, but Danny Ochoa does get down there. He puts a right hand on it, but the ball bounces perfectly for, for uh, Joey Farrell. All he has to do is get... A reasonable touch on this ball, and we're knotted up at two with 15 minutes left. And this is something that happens on occasion, but you just get, like, the worst possible touch. The ball maybe bounces a little weird on you, and you just hit it, and you're like, 
how the heck did that happen? You know, like just completely not what you intended. And I think the ball in this situation bounces right off of Farrell's kneecap. If it hits any other part of his leg, he can take another touch if he needs to, or it goes straight into the goal. But it hits his kneecap right as his kneecap's popping up, bangs off his bone and goes over the bar from two yards out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think uh, at this point is where you start, you know, to just to just feel it and be like, God, if we can't even score, if we can't even score in this way, how how are we gonna, you know, find a goal? Um, it really was just so, you know, disappointing. And and for Farrell, I mean, you know, we've seen it that he gets in these opportunities, and um, nine times out of ten, he puts it away. And uh, I, I mean, it, it's just, you know, as you said, it took the worst possible touch if it maybe spills through past him solo's there to clean it up but uh just you know just no luck going our way right there and um yeah it goes out and over and Ochoa you know he's he's so lucky there yeah no doubt about it I mean he did well to get to the initial header but uh, you know with that kind of rebound opportunity you just got to find a way and it doesn't happen there and then I mean, really, that's the best chance. I mean, there were other chances for sure. Um, but I wouldn't say that there were any really dangerous chances for us. Um, Phoenix Rising doesn't make its first substitution until the 79th minute when Ben Spencer comes on for Kev Lambert. I think this is a great sub. Maybe it should have happened a little earlier because, you know, I mentioned in the last match, Kev Lambert was my field player of the match. He was the best player um, not counting Lubin on the pitch that match. In this match, he might have been the worst. It yeah. just wasn't his night. Absolutely. Night and day. Night and day from, from that Austin Bold match. Um, and, I mean, it, it, it really was disappointing. And, and, you know, he's a player that I feel like, you know, when, when he's thriving, we thrive. And it's it's feast or famine. And um, it's, it's just... it's. For me, there, you know, I'm really disappointed that Shantz waits so long to make that substitution. I know that he has faith in these guys and wants to give them the chance, but but I think we need a spark sooner. Um, ben Spencer's scored those lucky goals for us this year. I would have loved to see, you know, both him and Johnson get more time on the pitch because I think that's what we needed um, with some guys to bring in life, bring in the energy that we were lacking all night, and in um, it just it wasn't, you know, didn't turn out that way. And this is something early in the season we talked about a lot where Shantz was waiting too long. You remember our episodes yep. in April and May? Oh, yeah. He wouldn't oh, yeah. three substitutions. He'd wait late, and we'd be pissed about it. I mean, he's gotten better yeah. with subs, but this is one of those matches, and then he, he makes a substitution the 86th minute bringing on Johnson for Dia. That also feels late. Why not make the wait. first substitution yep. around the late 60s and then bring on JJ in like maybe the seventy seventh minute after Farrell misses that chance. Yeah, absolutely, and that's you know if it's not even a complaint, it's one you know con to the genius that is Rick Schantz. Um, he he just waits to make those subs. It seems like he's not willing to just pull the trigger. He takes his time, and um, it's one of those things that you know it can get frustrating at times because. 
you know, from the stands being a stand manager, I think that, you know, there are moments where we can see that, you know, this team needs something different. They need, you know, a, a different personality out there on the field and just fresh legs. And um, it would have been, you know, great to see them come on early. I think Johnson especially, you know, he's he's able to be so influential and has those big moments. Um, it was unfortunate he wasn't able to get enough time to, to do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a bummer. But um, ultimately, you know, you can't argue with it because we won 20 matches this season and all of these guys that were on the pitch were an integral part of that. Um, they all deserve to be on the field. But I just think, you know, on that night, something different could have, uh, you know, maybe sparked sparked something for Phoenix. For sure. And, uh, you know, down the stretch, not, I mean, we get a bunch of corner kicks, but there weren't too many quality chances. There's only one one chance in my mind that is a significant opportunity and that is the third minute of stoppage time the ball's kind of bouncing around um in the box i think off a set piece not a corner kick and monarchs fail to clear it you know the guy kind of barely gets a touch to it and farrell is there to volley the ball i really think that if this if this volley effort from about 9 yards out if this doesn't get blocked by a defender, this would have been in. But it does get blocked. Um, and I, I think later we get a corner kick out of it. But that was, in my opinion, the last real threat. Um, you know, a couple a couple half chances. There was one last one where the ball came out for, for Corey Whelan to just rip a long shot. But, you know, you're not going to have much success on those kinds of chances. No. No, that would have, you know, that would have put put Whelan in the history books for Phoenix Rising. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, it it really was, you know, just just no uh, no other opportunities to write home about. Nothing that you know really seemed like anything that we could have um, turned into a goal. And it, it was just you know great defending by Monarchs. They really did it as a unit. You know, they stayed you know in their formation. And I think that's been the key. Um, for them, it, it, both matches against the Rising is they've been able to eliminate, uh, you know, those spaces that we're able to to make our plays in and to uh, to break their lines down. And if if they can do that, um, I mean, they've seen if they they're able to just retain us to the wings and keep us out wide, uh, we just haven't been able to finish from crosses. And um, it, it, you know, their game plan worked perfectly. You'd have to say, and and you know, Phoenix is out and they're on to the Western Conference Finals. Definitely. Um, you know, in many ways, the USL season is kind of a war of attrition. And it's not always the team that's, you know, the hottest team throughout the regular season or certainly not the hottest team out of the gate. But it's a lot about momentum and about coming through at the right times. And you see it in MLS, too. I mean, neither yep, Toronto... I was just going to say that. Neither Toronto, Toronto nor Seattle are like remotely what you would think of as even like the top two teams in your in that conference. And yet when push comes to shove, they kind of do better towards the end of the regular season. And they just find ways to gut these results out. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And now we have to watch another stupid Toronto Sounders final. <laughs> what is this? Like the fourth one in five years or something? I mean, it's Third just... and four, yeah. <sighs> God, dude, it's it's just so insane. I'm just like, ah, 
Give me something else. I'm tired of this vanilla. <laughs> yeah. But props, honestly, I mean, you have to give props to both of them going on the road and getting the results they did at Atlanta United, at LAFC. Um, I mean, they both deserve to be where they are. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's going to be a fun final still, but, uh, you know, not the final that, you know, everyone uh, within, I think, MLS would have wanted. Definitely not the, the money final that they would have wanted, I should say. Correct. And I, I feel like we're headed towards that same path in USL where, you know, I think the USL, you know, headquarters would have loved a, you know, a Phoenix versus Pittsburgh or even like a Phoenix versus a Nashville final where you have two yep. pretty major markets, two teams that have never won the cup before, really in a showcase on national TV. And now it's probably going to be Louisville again hosting Oh, it Monarchs. will be. Yep. That's, I, I you know... We, I guess we can get into it now. Um, I think Louisville, you know, they have this in the bag. I think this is their cup to lose. Um, even though I believe they have to go on the road to Indy, I still think this team is so deep. They have so much experience. And they just, they're a team that gets it done, just like you said. I mean, you know, when it comes down to it, they have the momentum to push them through these games. And um, I think, you know, the final will likely be in Louisville. And whether it's El Paso or Monarchs, both of those teams they're going to have a really tough task ahead of them. I think I think Monarchs matches up better against Louisville, but still I think, you know, Louisville's, you know, they likely take home the USL Cup this season. 3 Pete. And props to them. Yeah, definitely definitely uh those teams that are in it for the long haul, the war of attrition are the ones that do the best in the playoffs. Um well, any final thoughts from that match? And from this season at large, um, I mean, it just you know this this match, you know, it was it was a team that played Phoenix Rising football against Phoenix Rising, and and was able to get the result. But you know, it, it hurts um, just because you know we all had our our hopes set on you know hosting this Cup final, um, but but ultimately you know you still have to look back on this season and say it was a success, and be proud of it because as you said, we set records that. They shouldn't be broken for a long, long time, and um, I mean, we did we did things that you know we set out to to succeed the season. We won the USL season regular championship, and um, there's plenty to be proud of. But I think you know, in a few months, it'll be a lot easier to look back on the season with positive feelings than it does uh does right now, just given the way that it ended so uh so abruptly. Yeah, definitely, and you know, someone. Even though he's not a rising fan, a longtime listener, um, Ramon Cole on Twitter, um, uh-huh. he posed the question afterwards: Was the winning streak worth it to lose in the playoffs like this? And you know, I posted this on the Rising account. Absolutely, it was. The publicity that we got from this winning streak, we were featured in ESPN FC. Our, our dollar beer night was national news. You know, we were on Total Soccer Show, getting talked about Sirius XM Radio. There was so much more buzz, and we rewrote most of the USL record books. I mean, any one of these four teams left can win a championship, and that's fine and dandy. But five years from now, I think the bigger lasting memory is going to be all those records that we broke, the single-season points record, and a 20-match win streak that might not be broken in our lifetime. Yeah, 
yeah, I mean, it's, you know, playoffs, it's such an American concept, the one-off. And, you know, it's one of those things that we value so highly here. But, you know, abroad, it's not valued as highly. And, you know, in the playoff, you know, there's always going to be a loser. And um, I, I think, you know, to do what we did, win 20 straight and, and you know, go on that amazing streak, it's a far bigger feat than, than losing um, in the semifinals in the playoffs. Um, it, it, you know, this, you know, was bound to happen eventually. Um, it, but like you said, that streak, it, it could not be broken for a long, long time. And, you know, if a team does break it, it, it will be amazing to watch because they're going to have to play some amazing, amazing football. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, and I think just with how difficult of a sport it is just to even win two or three in a row, I oh, really, yeah. I really don't see that happening until, you know, not for at least 10, 15 years, you know. No, I mean, it, it just what the Louisville, the Louisville streak was like 12, right? The or no, Louisville, sorry, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati's was 10. We broke it. with Okay. 11. Yeah. So we doubled it and we, and we the lapped all time. Them. The all time winning record was 15. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing is, you know, we, we not only in our league, but in the entire country, we, we've set the record. And, you know, to do it in the way that we did, um, it, it was just it was unreal. And it's something that, yeah, I don't see I don't see being broken for for a long, long, long time. And it's 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 just crazy that you're able to get 20 results um wins when you know you have draws that come in as well and as we said so many of those matches came down to very late game winners for phoenix um it, i mean that that streak i would say provided as much if not more at times excitement to what playoffs would offer i mean there was nights you know in tacoma where i was at home saying there's no way there's no way we come back from this and and this team got it done so you know it's disappointing to lose you know when the chips were down but uh you know we were chips leaders for a long 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 time Absolutely. Very well said. And, you know, with that, I think this is a good time to transition towards our second part of this show, which is, you know, because there's no doubt that the legacy of this season will remain, you know, for a long time. But we need to start looking forward. We need to start thinking about what is going to happen in the future. And Joe Lowry did some of that in his Rising Tactics recap on Saturday. Um, Some really interesting quotes. He had a quote from Rick Schantz saying he's going to get into the office on Monday and, and start preparing the team for next year. He had a quote from Bobby Dooley saying that there were Monarch players talking to him after the match if they were interested in, uh, in joining Phoenix next year, or if he was interested in having them. And, uh, you know, Joe Lowry said this in his own words, the team could be making signings as soon as this upcoming week. Yeah, and honestly, you know, for me, that's that's super exciting to hear. You know, in the past, we've had to wait quite a while to get some of these announcements. Um, you know, New Mexico United's already announced, you know, a lot of players and then the players they're negotiating with. So it, it would be fun to see. And, you know, when you hear that, you know, the team that just beat you and is moving on to the, the conference final, um, want, talking to, you know, the GM, um, it just shows, you know, the class that this club is you know, the level that we're at and that, you know, these, these players, 
players, you know, they may have beaten us, um, but they still respect us as a team in this organization and, and, and enough to, you know, want to come here themselves and, and you know, try and better it. Um, I think that's great. I think that's an awesome thing. And, you know, that's that's actually something that I think, you know, the Phoenix um, staff should really, you know, take pride in that, you know, other players um, are, are looking at your program and, you know, they, they won't see themselves there. That's, you know, that's not something that every club, you know, gets. So that's that's really a testament. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. I think there's, you know, definitely some names that we'll see, uh, we'll see back in Phoenix rising red next year, but there's, you know, definitely, a a bit that we won't. And we're, we're going to play a little game right now. Um, <laughs> none of us have official knowledge on this stuff. So, you know, don't oh, no, be, this is all just gut. Yeah. Don't gut be, feeling. don't be at us. Don't be like, how do you know? Or like, how did you not know? Or like. If you've been talking to, we don't know this stuff. But we're going to play a little game called Will He Stay or Will He Go? I'm just going to give you a name. You have to tell me, and let's try to limit each one to, like, 30-second explanations. It can be less if it's, you know, a player we don't have to talk about too much. But I'm going to just go down the roster. Will they stay or will they go? Okay, let's do it. All right. First off, Zach Lubin. Stay. That's, ah, I'm so conflicted. I want to say stay. I I will also say stay. And and just so it's easier, we'll do a snake, so I'll go first and next time. That way you're not always on the spot. I think oh, that's he, fine. I think he stays because he is a little bit older for MLS. I know MLS a lot of times likes the young guys. I wouldn't be stunned if he had an opportunity to be a backup keeper. But another thing is he already had a season here where he wasn't starting. And, you know, at this stage of his career, he might just want to start every match and do something special as opposed to being a backup keeper in MLS, which means you're only playing open cup and maybe one or two matches. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. And I mean, you know, what makes this so hard is, you know, our, our other goalie, um, because both of these guys, they deserve to start, and you know they want to start. So, you know, it's it's going to be tough to see how things play out with these two. For sure. Um, next up, we got Amadou Dia. <sighs> I think oh, he oh, might I, leave. I, I go first, this one. Oh, it's it's fine. I mean, I already I already said my opinion. I, sadly, I think MLS calls comes a call in for Dia. I just think he's too talented. I mean, I think we deserve to have him, but I think, you know, he deserves bigger and better things. I'm going to say stay. I think Okay. I think he is already 26, so you know, certainly in the prime of a soccer player's career, but he's already been drafted by Sporting Kansas City. He's he's 26. I think if he was to get a break, it probably would have already happened. I think he will stay. And Next I hope up. so. <laughs> yes. Next up is AJ Cochran, and I think he's going. I think this dude could either be a better fit for another elite, maybe an Eastern Conference USL team, or could get the opportunity to play MLS again. He did get some time with Atlanta United in 2018, and then he was regularly on their two squad. I think that probably makes more sense with him, and especially with us having a logjam at center back. 
yeah, I'm with you. I think he I think he does leave. Um, it's not that you know he did anything wrong. He had an amazing season. I mean, that penalty against Austin. I mean, we'll always remember that. Um, but I think he, like you said, he's a player that you know he has MLS aspirations. I think Atlanta was going to be a tough place for him to get into. Um, I could see him going. I think he's a St. Louis boy, right? He is a St. Louis boy. I could see him almost trying to get to St. Louis and maybe you know get into that squad and maybe get into MLS that way in a few years, um, or you know maybe maybe come to some other team, you know. The LA Galaxy desperately needs someone who can defend right now, so so maybe that's a possibility. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. I, I think you know he did have a great season, but I think he is he is a center back that we see move on. Joey Farrell, I got him staying. I'm with you. I think I think Farrell's uh, you know Phoenix rising through and through. I think he's a player that that you know he he just fits the mold. And I think, you know, he didn't, due to A.J. Cochran, he didn't, you know, play as much this season as he would have liked. But I think, you know, he uh, he stays. And I think he's, he's you know, someone who Rick, or, well, Rambo and Rick both uh, build the defense around. I agree. I think he was a good sport this year, not getting to start, you know, the majority of matches. You know, should Cochran get another opportunity, I think the team makes it up for him next year. Maybe they give him a good contract or uh and they really just make sure that he's a regular starting center back. I think he's a fan favorite. He's a dude that usually plays well when he gets his chances. And I, you know, maybe there's a little bit of bias here, but I, I think he loves it here as much as we love him. And I think he will be back. Yeah, I, everything you just said, I, 100%. Um, speaking of guys that have been here for a minute, Duigi Mala. That's what I was gonna say. I think Mala is out. Sadly, you know, I think I think this was the season that uh, he just he did not get enough. I think you know the the system is maybe moving on from his style of play, and um, I think he's you know he's getting a little bit older in age too. I know. I think you know Mala had a great run in Phoenix, and I, I you know I've really loved his you know his just dominance on the field. He's in that enforcer role for us. Um, and, you know, we'll always make that tough tackle. But I, I think, you know, Mala probably uh, goes back to Africa after this season. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I mean, I was surprised that he re-signed last year because... Yeah, that's me too. I thought he was a Carter-owned guy, and him coming back was a surprise. But again, he, he barely got to play this year, you know, especially after the month of July, where he had some promising showings in June and July. But uh, he just didn't get to play much after that. And, you know, I, I don't know what's going on with, with his life or what opportunities are out there. But, you know, if I was a professional soccer player, I wouldn't want to be sitting on the bench 80% of the time when you know that you're a starting caliber player. Well, and, I mean, thousands of thousands of thousands of miles away from home. Um, I know he could find somewhere, you know, closer to home that he could, you know, be starting and playing consistently. Yeah. Um, Corey Whelan. I think he is, stays, and I think, you know, this is another reason Mala leaves. You know, they brought in Whelan, and I think that shows that they, you know, didn't necessarily not have faith, but they just knew we needed something different. This was a Rambo signing. Another guy that I think, you know, we're building around him. I think both Farrell and Whelan are going to be, you know, our, our walls in the back next season. I agree, and... Part of the reason I agree is talking to Corey 
back in September before the New Mexico match. Um, and it was a, a small interview with the Rising is One podcast, but the way he explained the decision, he said he had other offers, but he wanted to do what was best for him. There were also some rumblings when the deal came out that it was a multi-year deal. And so I don't think a dude like that comes in in the month of Jul- like of August, I think. Yeah, yeah, a dude like that doesn't come in in August unless he's part of the team's longer-term plans. I think next year might be a season where he's really showcased, and then if he does well, maybe he uses that as a springboard for MLS or a European league. Yep, yep. I think that's. I mean, I think that's you know a dead-on timeline. Um, that's you know that's I think why he came here with you know those aspirations and that kind of understanding. And I think you know the Phoenix Rising you know will have you know probably give him some assurances to come here that he's gonna get minutes. Um, I mean he left the Liverpool Academy to come here. I mean it it is insane. It still you know makes me smile when I say it. Not that I'm a Liverpool fan, but it just says so much about Phoenix that a player is willing to come across the pond here to play with us. Oh no doubt. I mean, the when it was announced, it was crazy. But again, I think that shows, you know, how good Peter Ramage was in getting him here, and how much he values what this club brings to the table. I mean, he he chose Phoenix because it was what was best for him. Um, since we're almost done with defenders, we'll do a couple more. Uh, Mustafa Dumboya. Sorry, I was taking a drink. I this is I can, tough. I can because, go first on this one if you want. Oh no, I, I'm good. I I I don't know if he comes back, but I want to see Dumbuya back. I would love to see him. We talked about it. He was the player we were missing um, against the Monarchs, and I think you know if we can hold to him in Dia, and then these other two center backs that you talked about. I mean, no gold June, July, the entire summer. It's bound to happen again because, I mean, these guys, as a unit, if we can hold on to them, it's just going to be insane. Yeah, he's he's one of the toughest calls for me. I think he does stay. And the reason I say that is I think he could step into a League 1 side in uh, in England. He could easily do a League 2 side, but he, he could probably even do League 1, which is third division over there. Um, or Scottish Premier League. But I think Phoenix Rising offers that, you know, transition post-career. If Dumboya wanted a spot on the coaching staff after another season or two, he could get that. And Dumboya's not a young cat. He's, you know, I want to say he's 32 now. Um, I think, dude has I think had that's a right. Lot. Yeah, he was 31 at the start of the year. And I'm trying to find this for us. Uh, lifetime research. But I want to say he's 32 now, so that's an attractive option, and and people love to retire in Phoenix. You know, affordable housing out here relative to a lot of other places. Um, You know, great weather. He is 32. I I think he'll be back. Yeah, yeah. And I'm one of these guys that plays for us for two, three more years and then calls it a career after that. Yeah, and I didn't even think about, you know, the technical aspect of it and him possibly getting involved, you know, in the future. And and that is a great point. And I think, you know, that's something that we've seen as a club. And, you know, if that becomes our mantra to, you know, take care of our veterans and, and bring them in, there's no better club that, you know, could do that. And I think that would be, you know, something that 
we would just grow to love more and more to have these familiar faces. Um, it, it's it's awesome. And for Dumbuya, I think, you know, I would love to have him back. And, you know, I would only hope that, you know, he wants to be back here in Phoenix next season and that we see him because, uh, I mean, he was just electric. He really was, I think, one of the impact signings of the season. Um, and then two guys that were largely Tucson players but that did see time with Phoenix Rising this year. We can kind of take them as a combo. Austin Ledbetter and Kyle Bjornton. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, these are Rick Schantz's guys. So, I mean, I think that we definitely have not seen the last of them. Um, you know, I think I would, I really would not be surprised, actually, if we if we sign Ledbetter to Phoenix um, as, I, you know, exactly. as a Phoenix player. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I rather think that's... than keeping him in Tucson. I think, uh, but Jonathan, I think, you know, maybe that could go either way. But um, he's still, you know, he's provided the depth that we needed at, at the back position at times. I'm with you, and I see it exactly that way. I think Ledbetter could get a rising contract, especially if at least one of these defenders is on the way out. I think we both have, I mean, you might have three of them going out. I definitely have two going out. So in that case, yes, Bjornthon would still be a good depth piece, and Ledbetter could make it to the senior squad full-time. Um, so that kind of wraps up the defenders. Just for anyone keeping track, um, we both have everyone coming back except for AJ Cochran we both see going out. Um, we both have Mala going out. And then we're split on Amadou Dia. I think he stays. You think he's going elsewhere. Yeah, I, I just think his t- his talent could take him to another level. But, but you know, I, I also think D is another guy like Farrell. He's a fan favorite. Yeah, so we will see. Um, speaking of fan favorites, since we, uh, we went through with Lubin but not Carl, um, I wanted to finish off the goalkeeper position before we move on to midfielders and attackers. Carl Wazinski. See, this one this one's really hard for me because... I mean, he has been, you know, Arizona United, uh, Phoenix Rising goalkeeper. You know, he's been the goalkeeper we've known for years. I mean, I think he's been here for like five years now, something like that. Um, And I know he has a home here in Phoenix. This is his home. So for me, um, I I think he stays, but it's dependent on, you know, what is Waz able or willing to do right now with his career. Um, you know, is he is he willing to fight it out and and possibly lose you know the starting spot to Zach Lubin again, or is he you know gonna go somewhere that he'll be guaranteed that starting position? Um, that's I think gonna be the key to whether he stays or goes. Yeah, and you know, for me, I don't, I don't think it's a question of you know if Lubin's back, he's going to be the starter. Um, Carl is already thirty one. And while that's not particularly old for top-level goalies, you know, that is above average for a USL goalie. Um, I remember last season there was even some talk about would he would he play another year or would he consider retiring and joining the coaching staff. And then he did come back, but I don't know. I could, you know, depending on his family life and that situation too, um, he is a long ways from where he went where, from where he grew up and from where he went to school. Um, so he could potentially make more of a homecoming move. You know, he grew up in uh, in Indiana, and he mm-hmm. went to school in Birmingham. So 
you know, maybe a move to another team in the Eastern Conference so that there's not that conflict. Maybe an option for San, San Diego Loyal, since they're going to have to start making signings. But I think he goes. And whether it's that or he just retires and gets, like, the goalkeeper coach's job, I, you know, the depth chart doesn't look promising for him. And no matter what, he's always going to be a legend. He's always going to be a fan favorite. He's he's Carl. He's he's the he's a legend, but um, the longest tenured player on our squad. But I I don't think he'll be back. So we disagree. Yeah. No. And and you make a great point there. Um. I mean, absolutely. I I could see. You know, if he does leave, um, like you said, either Birmingham or or Indy being, you know destinations that he would you know look towards but uh i mean the san diego thing's a great point too that one would sting the most um you know another josh cohen situation that we have to see him a, a couple times a year yeah um not anymore though <laughs> correct correct um and i think part of the carl thing might be i think rick Shantz tries to get bk brandon kensington some match time next year I think he tries to get BK a couple Open Cup matches. I think he tries to get him like a couple USL matches next year. I think he tries to start getting him into the fold. Yeah, I think I think that didn't happen because I know he he had an injury, you know, this season and and that took him off the shelf for a long time. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a great point. And um, I, I mean we're gonna see it. I mean we they've made it known that. They want to promote these, you know, rising youth players and give them these opportunities. And, you know, this is how you do it. This is how you build an academy. Yeah, so I, I could see I could see Brandon getting a, a senior squad call-up or a senior contract going into next season. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Or at least, or at least a two-way maybe with Tucson. Yeah, I, I, I think a two-way would be best. Um, you know, he, he just needs minutes right now. And that's the one thing, you know, that I think is going against him is we just did not see enough of him this year, but you know, he has to be touted highly, um, for this team to even be considering him. And, you know, he was, you know, getting training with these guys and I'm sure they saw a lot more than what any of us as you know, just fans, um, saw. So I absolutely, I think, you know, BK deserves it. And, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's just what, what I want to see out of this club. Um, to grow our local product. I mean, it, for so long, you know, we've had these other guys that have been taking all the Arizona talent. It's time to uh, take back what's ours. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, let's move to the midfield position because this is going to be one of the most intriguing positions for our squad. Uh, we will start it out with, I mean, Peter Lee Vassell didn't play a lot for us and he's on loan. I imagine that LAFC would want to it would probably be like a Blackman situation they'll want to have him in the fold the thing about midfield is that there's you know more of a line to uh, make it into the starting 11 than there is at at the uh, defender position for LAFC but he's such a talent I mean he's already had some Jamaican national team call-ups and played a role I don't think maybe he'll get to play a couple matches with us but I see it being like a Blackman situation at best. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't even know. I mean, 
it's been a while since he's even been with Phoenix, right? I haven't seen him, you know, around the team, in, you know, in a while. And I think, as you said, a Blackman situation at best. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how LAFC shakes out their midfield next year. Um, I mean, Blackman, a player that, you know, we, we saw for a great deal last year, and now he's a fixture in the LAFC lineup. So, uh, you know, either way, I think these LAFC guys, they're great to have. But they're, you know, they're not players that I think we will be able to rely on week in and week out. And um, for that reason, we can't, you know, try and build our team around them. Correct. Um, next, I mean, this is where it starts getting fascinating because I really, the midfield seems like the position where there's going to be the most roster upheaval of the defenders, of the forwards, of the keepers. I think this is the group where there's the most upheaval. And maybe I'm completely wrong about that. But John Beccaro. See <sighs> I want him. Yeah, but I know. I, he's he's another one like Dumboya that's just he is so on the fence. Um He's yeah. only I, I'm gonna actually say stay, and it's largely because he's young. He turns 23 by the time you guys are listening to this. It's probably his birthday, November 5th. Um, but the dude's young, so I think he could still stay with Toronto and just be on loan for a year and then maybe get that senior team call up the following year. Um, or, you know, maybe midway next year, if he's just tearing this league apart, he'll have to be called up by Toronto because they do have a squad. But I think he'll be back. Yeah, and personally, I mean, I don't know if I think he will be because I think, you know, he's a player that has, you know, great potential um, in his pedigree. I mean, I didn't even know until later on that his dad, you know, played for Barcelona back in the 90s. Um, and I, I believe he won their first European championship. So, I mean, you know, this kid's got it in his blood. I think, you know, if Phoenix gets to hold on to him next year, I hope it's a year-long loan and that we get, to, you know, get him for the full year because, I mean, this is an amazing place for him to develop. He's easily been, you know, our, our creator in the midfield. He has been our true number 10, the engine that, you know, drives this team. And um, I, I really do hope he comes back, but I'm bullish on it just because I could see him going, you know, to, to a high level. Yeah, I mean, Beccaro, he uh, just in 2017 was named the top college soccer player in the United States at Wake Forest. The top college soccer player um yeah the fifth that's i mean they don't they don't make jokes about that and i mean toronto fc in my opinion you know they're one of those clubs that they have one of the best midfields in mls and i think you know he's he fits that mold for them and you know maybe they like what they're seeing out of phoenix and they want to grow him more and i hope that you know that's greg vanny's plan and he doesn't want to you know bring him back next year but uh i i think you know one day we probably do see him at Toronto FC because he is he's a quality player and could easily play at MLS um, in another year or two. Yeah, and, and interesting, he was the fifth pick in the 2018 MLS draft, just two spots behind Tristan Blackman. Um, Blackman was never named college player of the year. Um, and, and Beccaro has seven MLS appearances already. I think it's a part of his future, but I think... I think we can squeeze out one more season with him here. Nothing would surprise me, though, but that would be a big get. 
yeah, that would be that would be a very big signing, and um, you know, people you know may not recognize it because he's not the big name that you know some other guys are. But but he would be a huge signing to be able to retain him for next year, and you know, a key piece to our midfield. Um, next up, Alessandro Rigi. Ah, uh, no. It's um, it sucks because Rigi. You know, for the longest time, he was one of my favorite, you know, rising players. Back in 2017, I mean, he was our little Messi out there on the pitch. Um, he, you know, he's done so many amazing things, but I think just injury has has plagued him so much. And I think, um, I think he goes somewhere else. I could see him going to a League One side and really, really succeeding. But I think, you know, he needs he needs time and maybe a little bit more development. I think. Uh, our midfield's just too crowded right now, but I would love to see Rigi back. If he does resign, I'll gladly eat my words and go buy a number seventeen jersey. You know, I could. It's just hard because part of me thinks that like Phoenix does like to honor their own guys and maybe give them another chance, but it's just it's just hard to justify with all the midfield options. And I'm sure that we're going to bring in at least one or two, you know, pretty high-profile midfielders this offseason, too. So, I don't think that there's space for him. I would love for it to happen. But he's also not the youngest guy, either. Um, It's just deeply unfortunate, though, because he's a class act. You know, he might be... He's definitely on that top three to five of favorite people on the team just the stand-up guy but uh i don't know i don't know how we're gonna find space for him jose aguinaga and I'll, I'll start this one off i don't know if this has anything to do with you know the off-season plans for him jose aguinaga did not play at all in our semi-final loss he did not even get subbed on um his Spanish mate, Becaro, got the start, got to play. Agi Naga had been a huge part of our team. He didn't get to play in this match. And after the match, um, you know, a lot of the guys go by the supporters groups, do the high fives and stuff, and it was tough after a loss. But uh, I was in the southwest corner with my fiancé, and with Aaron Blau was nearby too. And and uh, I see, like, a water bottle just be thrown, slammed against the, the ground, and uh, and then I see Aguinaga walking by, and I could tell it was him who threw it, and he was just very frustrated. And I can understand it, you know, biggest match of the season, and you don't get to see one second of playing time after being a key contributor throughout the year. This is all this is all a uh, a prelude to say I don't think he's coming back. You know, I think the more. The more I listen to you describe that situation, the more I think about it. I think you're dead on because something tells me that Aguinaga knew this was his last match with Phoenix. And this was, you know, an opportunity for him to play in, you know, a high level playoff game. You know, probably, you know, well, I guess when he was with Red Bulls, he played in the playoffs as well. But, you know, one of those matches that, you know, he wants to be in, he wants to make an impact in, he doesn't even get to see the field. And, you know, this was his chance to win a trophy and now all that's slipping away and he's probably not even going to be with his team next year. And I think that's the frustration we're seeing. And, you know, I think that's, you know, 
very possible. I think, you know, it, it could all be speculation as well. He could, you know, have been pissed off about, you know, receiving a text from some girl saying saying no to going out that night and, uh, <laughs> you know, was just, was just bummed that his team lost and he wasn't going to get a hot date. But maybe he is leaving. I mean, I think... I think, you know, the whole Vaquero situation is dependent on this. The Rigi situation is dependent on this. A lot rides on Aguinaga and him staying or leaving. And um, and I, and maybe, you know, there was – we're just reading into the emotions. But I think, you know, when you see that from a player, um, he's always worn his heart on his sleeve. But I still think, you know, that there was maybe more to that than what, uh, what was on the surface. Yeah, and, and we'll see. Again, we're not insiders. We don't claim to have any knowledge of exactly how it's going to go down. But, you know, if if I'm... If, if Rising doesn't re-sign him, I would be trying to grab him in a second. If I'm San Diego, if I'm New Mexico, if I'm Las Vegas, if I'm El Paso, I would be ringing his phone five times a day every day trying to get him. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I mean, I, you know, I, I'm I'm going off on this, but uh, I mean, people should know that I I love a good conspiracy theory. So, you know, for me, this is this is just fun. <laughs> yeah, and we'll see, we'll see, um, we will see. I I would hate to see him on another team in the Western Conference because, like you said, he's he's such a threat. But uh, I mean, time will tell where uh, where Jose lands. Yeah. Um, another midfielder that, I mean, they're all very tough calls because a lot of them are dependent on the other guys. Um, I'm going to go with one name that's been talked about a little bit. Kevin Lambert. He leaves. And you can hear it in my voice that I'm not happy with it, but I just, I think, you know, his ceiling's too high. He's done so much with the Jamaican national team that uh, I think Lambert, you know, it's it's time to mutually part ways because I think you know he could uh, he could go do some great things and and really you know play at a high high level that uh, while he's you know been key to Phoenix here, I think that you know it may be time to uh, to see something new and to give him an opportunity to go out and spread his wings. I am going to go the other way just to create interesting content but i also do have a hunch here just a hunch okay he actually has a little something left to prove um i think he gets along really well with some of the guys in this squad that i would expect to come back um and i hope that that's not a spoiler for the future part of this but you know like a jason johnson i think would be back um solomon asante i think will be back I think he has one more year left here. He's still so young. I could. I think he's gonna be back. And I think I, that's a good. Go for it. Yeah, I. I hope you're right. I mean, I would. I would love to see him back. He's just. You know, he's been one of those players that we've talked about it. You know, for years now that someday um, MLS is gonna co- come and knock in for him, um, or someone else. You know, some other big big club will come after Kev Lambert. And that's a great segue to someone who is going to be directly impacted by Kev's decision one way or another, and that's James Musa. Oh, I, I knew, see, so I knew you were going there. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying he goes, and I think that's fully contingent on him staying. If it's the other way around, I think Musa stays. 
yeah, you're you're dead on, and that's what sucks so much because both of these guys deserve all the minutes in the world, and and you know it sucks that we can't give it to them. That we're you know not some defensive powerhouse that plays with these two in um, because it, it's it's so frustrating because both of them are such talents. You know Lambert maybe you know a little bit more of a talent just given his age and, and you know his national team status and everything but Musa I mean he's a guy that you always want in your squad even if he's not on the pitch just his encouragement on the sidelines and his personality uh, I, I you know I, I would love to see Musa back but I'm with you if, if Lambert stays Musa's got to go because he needs to go play somewhere and you know there's more teams coming into the USL and with League One as well I mean there's there's plenty of destinations for these guys that they can start um, and get consistent play. Well, so your official prediction is that he stays, right? Because you have Kevin leaving? Yeah, I guess so. I guess if you're right, but then, I mean, if, if he leaves, then Kev stays probably. I think, you know, that's, I mean, I feel like that's probably our GM's, you know, mindset almost on it right now is that how do you keep both of these guys? One of them's, you know, going to have to leave. And so you just got to keep them both happy until you figure out who's who's out the door. Yeah, and I, I think it's possible for these guys to coexist, but I don't think it's possible given Rick Schantz's style. I think if Carter Rohn was still the manager, you could potentially see like a four four two with them being defensive midfielders, but you know, and even that was a diamond sometimes that you could put maybe Lambert on one of the wing spots. But with Rick Schantz, I just don't think that they're compatible. I think you can only have one guy that's more of that defensive-minded guy yeah yeah absolutely i mean rick Schantz is loyal to the 4-3-3 and um in that formation you know just we we can at times have both of these guys on the pitch but it's just not going to work to our favor um but i, I mean it, i would love to be wrong have both of them stay and coexist like you said but i think you know both of them also deserve to start so i you know and i think they know that so uh I you know I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Musa move on if Lambert does stay, but uh, I hope that Musa stays because I mean he's he's a guy he reminds me you know if he wasn't born in New Zealand and he was born in like Massachusetts I think Musa would have been a hockey player he just you know he's got that mentality and that style of play um, I mean he's just he grinds and I love it Joey Kalistri I think I think Kalistri's out. Um, and it's not, you know, that he didn't do anything amazing. You know, he was, he was a great, you know, super sub for us literally. But, but I think there's a lot of teams in USL that, you know, will want his services and that will be able to, you know, say, you're going to be our guy. Um, and I, I think, you know, it'd be, it'd be great for him. Does he say, I would love it because I think, you know, he's, he's been a key for the bench. And, you know, when Jason Johnson went down to injury, he was that guy that Rick Schantz relied upon. Um, in a lot of late matches, and he's you know a great USL player, but I think he's also a USL uh, veteran who you know he's traveled the league, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him um, go somewhere else. Yeah, I think you're spot on with this one. I I think a return to the Eastern Conference makes a lot of sense for him. A lot of guys could give him more minutes out there, you know, put him in a more prominent role. You know, he I could see him like. A Memphis, for example, could sorely use a guy like him or Birmingham. These teams that struggle to score, that are independent, that do have bigger ambitions than what happened this season. 
you know, while maybe not being the top class, they could give him starting minutes and the opportunity to maybe break through and be a big time player. That just feels, it feels like, you know, the opportunity that, that uh, would make sense. Although some guys turn down those opportunities because the situation is in, is so great here. So that wouldn't stun me either. It just feels like he's capable of that. And I think that's how it'll end up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, he's a player who he believes in himself and I think, you know, he'll know that, you know, this was a great season and he was part of a great team, but uh, I think for him, he probably wants a little bit more. I mean, Lord knows he could walk into St. Louis' starting lineup. Yes. Oh, man, there's there was a lot of teams that I was thinking. I mean, I feel like if he signed, if Tacoma signed him, he could be, you know, their star player and, you know, get them some points that they desperately needed this year. Colorado Springs is a team that really jumps to mind. I think up there, you know, he could really be key with Alan Cock coming in. I mean, there's, you know, there's plenty of places that I think Kalistri could go. And not that, you know, I want to see him leave, but I think, you know, the guy's got... You know, he's got skills for days, and he's shown it in the few minutes that he's had. So I think a lot of teams will be keen to that. Yeah. Um, Another one that shouldn't take very long. I mean, you could classify him as a forward, too, but I like to think of him more as a midfielder. I guess it doesn't really matter. Uh, Jason Johnson, he's going to stay. He's got to. I mean, the Jason Johnson scissor kick is etched in my memory forever. And this season, you know, he, he made that small back and, you know, was able to get back in it. But I think he missed so much. Um, and he still has a place, as you said, for me, you know, is he a midfielder? Is he a forward? He could. He, I think he can do whatever he wants or whatever Rick Schantz wants him to do, um, besides maybe fill in the center back spot. But I, I really think, you know, he's that versatile guy. And that, uh, I mean, I think he absolutely stays. And if, you know, like I said, some of these guys from the midfield are departing, Johnson's going to be key for us. And I I, I just want to see him and Flemings and Solo out there on the field together and, and just watch teams try and keep up because, and then throw Jambuya and Dia in, it's not possible. No one will catch us. Yeah. Um, so that kind of rounds out the midfielders. And before we move to the forwards section, I mean, we're both predicting a lot of outgoing midfielders, which means we're going to be bringing guys in. I would imagine who are some potential guys that I'm not, not like, cause it's kind of like throwing darts at a, or trying to find a needle in a haystack, but who are some names that come to mind as guys that could potentially, um, make their way to Phoenix? You know, that's so tough because I feel like this Phoenix team, you know, as far as, you know, the, the technical staff, they, they've looked beyond just the USL that, you know, they're looking, you know, to, to some of these MLS teams and, and, you know, their, their younger guys and their backups. Um, and even abroad, I mean, we've, you know, we've had no problem getting players from the Caribbean, um, in the past. So I really, I, I feel like for me, a couple of the USL guys that, you know, we possibly could see, um, one, you know, I, I wonder his situation in in uh, in New Mexico is Santi Moore. I, I know that, you know, he started off great, but I, I hadn't heard as much about, you know, his recent form and um, in New Mexico. And he's one player that I think, you know, if he comes up as a free agent, every single team's going to be going after him. And the difficult thing for Phoenix would be to uh, to, you know, be able to 
fit him into the midfield. But if he's a player who's out there, I would love to see him, you know, come to Phoenix next year because he's just he's you know a proven um, guy that can just get it done. And I think if he could combine with some of our forwards, it would be just ridiculous. Oh yeah, he would be. He's he's my ultimate like dream, my wet dream signing, I should say would be Santi Moore. I mean, it would be, it would be, you know, a crazy catch to do that. But if they could get that business done, that would uh, just be dynamite in the midfield. I think uh, that would be, (laughs) that would be wild. That would be such another layer to the whole New Mexico rivalry. Oh yeah. How sweet would that be? Like they took, they took our guys. Let's, you know, let's, let's take one back from them. That's what I want to see that happen. Um, you know who I could see coming in actually, and I think it would be quite a coup. Um, we don't have a lot of veteran leadership. Fresno FC is disbanding, and Juan Pablo Caffa would be fascinating. Ooh, that's I like that because free kicks too. Oh, I like that. That would be a great move. Just you know, you could even save him too because the midfield rotation will, I imagine, will be bringing guys in. He wouldn't need to start every match because he's 35 already. But he doesn't play like it either. But uh, dude brings a wealth of experience. He brings a lot of international eyeballs and attention to the team. And he still can play. I mean, the dude, you know, if you need him for a key match or if you need him as a super sub for those set pieces and as a veteran, you know, just like to mentor some of the younger guys, I, I think Kafa would be amazing. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. You know, with this whole Fresno FC situation, um, you know, all those guys are going to need places to go, and you know, you would think they would like to uh, relocate somewhere that's not too far away. And um, I mean, we we're familiar with with Juan Pablo here in Phoenix, and uh, yeah, he's he's one. That's a great call. He he would be a huge midfield signing. In the veteran, that's the one thing I feel like you know we. Uh, we lacked maybe a few more veterans this year than, than, you know, years past for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, those are ones, you know, Sebastian Velazquez prior to this run for El Paso, I might've thought about, but the way he's been playing for them. um, Yeah. I think think he's El Paso through and through. I think he's going to resign there. Me too. I think he's, he's immersed himself in the community. I think he's having a great time. Um, I think this is what he wanted, and he's having fun. Had he not, you know, signed in the midseason and had success, I could have seen it. But I think, you know, he's El Paso through and through, like you said. Um, and you know, it's it's interesting to see. Like OKC is another team that I would look at as like a team that has some interesting pieces. You know, some Caribbean guys that aren't super old, but. You know, as a team, it just hasn't really worked out. So maybe you break up the bunch and bring one of them here. Um, I mean, Deshaun Brown is a name that comes to mind, although I'd need to check his age because I do feel like Bobby Dooley prefers to have guys 25 and under with a couple exceptions. Yeah, yeah, and I I think, you know, I think that's a big thing for us. Like we said, the youth... um, while it's great to you know have these veteran leaders and they definitely show up in big moments you know when you're able to develop and then you know 
just have you know these guys that you can kind of have some assurances that for the next few years um they'll likely be with you or you know if things go well you could you know keep a hold of them so it's um it's gonna be really interesting it's i really hope you know i'm sure we get you know all these you know re-signings announced are you know soon but i want to see some some new signings that's what i'm you know very excited for maybe more nervous for our returning guys seeing who's returning but definitely excited to see uh there's got to be a couple new signings coming in. No doubt. And I would, you know, given what we're predicting from the midfield, I would expect at least one high-profile midfield signing and, you know, maybe one or two other ones that aren't as high-profile, but they're still quality names. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, the, there's going to be a lot of players, you know, they'll, they'll have seen what Phoenix did. They're going to know, you know, this isn't a fluke. This club is for real. Um, and they'll want to come be a part of it. I mean, why wouldn't you? Hard to, hard to give a good reason for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, other than maybe, you know, the summers, but uh, we plan a ro- lot of road games then. So you're good. Yeah. Well, let's, let's wrap this up with the forwards. Um, and we already have Johnson, who could be midfield or forward. We have him coming back. Solo Asante, I think, comes back. Yeah, and I, I mean, really, you know, he, I'm hopeful that Asante does come back. I think, you know, he loves it here in Phoenix. Um, and he's he's another, you know, older guy who I think, you know, he's he could be one of our big veteran leaders. I mean, he's our captain. There's, uh, you know, and after the season he just had, I think, you know, he'll he'll want to have more. He won't be satisfied with how it ended. So I think, you know, that, that drives Solomon Asante to stay another year and, and, you know, go for that cup. I agree, and I think it's a perfect situation for him here because he is, he is exactly the kind of guy that just, I don't think he'd work at MLS. You know, there are just some guys, like, he's already 31 years old. He's five foot two, so MLS... You know, a lot of teams like the physical style up there, and you don't really see anyone that small on an MLS starting eleven. Um, he he wouldn't he would just be one of the guys fighting for one of the last two or three roster spots at that level. Yeah, there's also an option he could go play for like a team in Africa, but he would also just be one of the guys. I mean, he's never been the guy like a club legend, like he is here. And as long as he's here, he's going to be that club legend, and he's going to be revered. Who wouldn't want that? I, I just think it's the perfect fit. And even though he could play at different levels than here, I just think it's the perfect fit. And having that relationship with Drogba, it's just it's right. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think the only thing that would maybe you know pull him from Phoenix is um, to go back to Africa to, you know, be closer to his family. But, you know, maybe maybe he's finally able to move his family out here. We'll never, you know, we won't know until it happens. But um, I think absolutely, you know, he will stay. If, if he does leave, like you said, I don't see him going to another USL club. It's, you know, Phoenix or, or you know, back to Ghana for Asante. Yeah. Um, few other names. I mean, Ben Spencer is a name that comes to mind. I... I think he'll stay. I think he really started to show what he's made of towards the end of this season. And 
you know, I think he could be seeing a larger role for Phoenix. I know during the middle of the season, he was kind of out of favor for a bit, but he got on a real hot streak at the end of the year. I I think he'll be back. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I wanted to disagree with you, but but my gut says I think he does stay. I think he's I think he's another one of these, you know, Rick Schantz guys and that he's a younger talent that, you know, Schantz sees a lot in and he wants to help develop and grow his game and you know, he's he's been very big in moments um for us and I think, you know, he's he's probably not going to be given, you know, that that starter role up top for us. Um, but you know, possibly he is. Maybe you know he has a great off season, and and Rick, you know, really gives him that opportunity. Um, he's a guy who I believe he was another Toronto FC player, wasn't he? Um. Oh boy, I have to look that up now. I he, thought. He, I mean, not. I know he's not on loan, but I think he was part of their academy. But um, I think the USL levels, you know, the right level for him, and I, I would not be surprised to see him stay. Yeah, and and it could be, I think it'll be a bigger season for him next year, and part of the reason why is the last two people that we're coming up on. Adam Jones. Yeah. You know, I I kind of want, I want to say yes, but, but I kind of think no. Um, I think, you know, Adam John did have a great year here. I mean, he had an amazing season. I don't know if he's ever scored scored as many goals as he did this year didn't he have like 16 or 17 or something like that 17 yeah 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 so I mean he had a great season but um I I think you know at times his style of play maybe wasn't exactly what Phoenix needed up top um the service wasn't always the most direct for him and and I just I feel like you know there's other teams in the USL that he might be a better fit for um you know, one team that that comes to mind would actually be Las Vegas. I think he'd be a great fit up in up in the Las Vegas team. But uh, hopefully, that's not the case. But yeah, I, I you know I think like you said, I think uh, Spencer likely stays, and and you know because of that, John's probably uh probably out. I mean, another interesting call for Adam John. Um, you know, NorCal guy, born and raised, he could make a return to California. You know, Sac Republic would love to have him. Um, yep. Reno could probably use him. San Diego Loyal could be an interesting option. And and there's even some talk about, you know, some of the lower-end MLS clubs could probably give him a look at as a backup striker. That's He made a pretty long MLS career out of that, playing for five seasons with uh, with the Earthquakes and then um, and the Columbus Crew. And... and he could certainly get that opportunity, and I think he'd be capable in that opportunity. But, boy, you know, at first I wanted to say he would be back. But, you know, thinking about it that way, I... Man, this is tough. I know. I think... <laughs> ooh, this is tough. Yeah, it's... I mean... It, you know, the only way we can, you know, really make these decisions is to be in those those backroom meetings with with Bobby Dooley and, and I think Rick Johnson. I think he's gonna yeah. stay. Okay. Okay. All right. One more year, I think he I, will. Okay. Okay. That's. I mean, and I mean, I and I'm not, you know, an Adam John hater, but I I think you know he's a guy who, 
you know, he's he's one of those players that he's got a great set of skills, but there's a lot of players that play in a similar fashion that I think, you know, Phoenix might be willing to take a risk and go find someone else um, that they think might have more upside potential. But, I mean, if Adam John stays, we'll know that we have, you know, a, a solid forward who's going to go out there and, you know, get us at least 10 goals. Yeah, and uh, here comes the last, last one. one. I Junior know. Flemings. He's got to stay. He has to stay. Junior Flemings has to stay here in Phoenix. This is what I'm telling myself to rationalize because, I mean, this guy, if he gets to MLS, there's no turning back. He's, what, he's another, like, 23-year-old, you know, still has time to develop another year or two, but I, I think he has to say, and he's, I mean, he's going to be our guy out there on the wing. I think, I think you know, we hold on to both Flemings and Asante and maybe see a new forward in the middle, but, um, and, or maybe we move Jason Johnson up top, I mean, We'll see. We'll see. But uh, I think I think he has to stay for my sanity. I need him. <laughs> I uh, I hate to disagree again, but I think that's uh, how it's going to go. And here's yeah. why. His star has never been higher. This dude oh, yeah. had a breakout season for Rising. You know, he made significant strides. I think, I think he came in this year trying to develop his game. He certainly was not ready to play at an MLS level before this season. And, uh, you know, he was with Red Bulls, too. He scored a lot of goals, but Red Bulls, too, wasn't... They weren't ready to give him that leap at that point. You know, he's still only 23. And at the time he was with RB2, he was 20, 21. Um, you know, Rowdy's last year, it was just a tough season all around for that team, so he didn't have a great year. But this year, 15 goals in 28 matches... I mean, that's an incredible rate. He's been playing more for the Jamaican national team. He scored his first international goal recently um, and was actually a pretty dynamic player in the Gold Cup this summer. I mean, he actually started a couple matches. And in the match against the U.S., he was one of their better attacking threats. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and you're dead on with reasons why it's likely he leaves and that's why i need him to stay <laughs> because i think i mean it's selfish but i would love to see him back in phoenix rising i think you know it, it, he's such a great player but but you're absolutely right i mean his stock's never been higher and if he's gonna make the jump now's the time um i mean he, the boy needs to go out there and get paid so let's let him well and it, it really is his decision i could just you know He's yeah. kind of he's it's kind of his moment. Like if he was to go up, this almost has to be his moment because he's 23 going into 24 this offseason. You know, once guys hit 25 and older and they haven't already made an MLS debut, especially when they're not domestic guys, the MLS clubs start getting cold feet and they're like, "Oh, well, we could we could call up this 20-year-old kid domestic or we could sign this international guy." They start getting cold feet about those guys. And that's why the USL is so important because there's a place for these guys to play at a high level and thrive. Flemings is at this perfect point, though, where he had exactly the season he needed to get his stock high enough where if you're a team that's struggling to score goals, you should absolutely be looking at him as a guy that for sure makes your roster and he has that high upside to actually be a regular starter in MLS. You know... 
Cincy comes to mind. I, I, Colorado oh, Rapids come to mind. Say, Vancouver. <laughs> I mean, any of these teams that struggles to score goals, you know, and really could use a dynamic option and could use that game-changing speed, which he showed us on Friday. I mean, I love the dude. Like, he, if he comes back, he will probably lead the team in scoring next year. But... And the dude believes in himself, too. He said before the season he would score 20 goals this year, which I thought was ridiculous. He came pretty darn close to that. Um, he was counting on a few more games, too, so oh, he would have sure. done it. Oh, for He would have sure. done it. Um, but, you know, it's just... If I was... Again, if I was his agent, I would be saying, look, dude, you need to be looking at MLS. At least kick the tires yeah. around. And if I'm an MLS scout, I'm like... How are you not giving this guy a look? I mean, he just has that it. There aren't more so than Kev, I would say. At least at this point, I think Kev he had moments where he was at that level, but I think Flemings was more consistently at that star of the show level. Yeah, and I mean, it's a, that's a great observation. I think you're I think you're right and I think, you know, this it's not only his rising performances, but like you said his Jamaica national team performances. That's something that MLS values highly is that national team. Um and you know, their scouts will have definitely been watching that match against the US. And so I think I think you're right. I I you know, he probably does leave because, you know, this for him is the best time in his career to make that move. Um, and you know, it would be great to see him, you know, move on. And I, I hope that, you know, if, if he does leave that he goes on and has great success in the MLS because I mean, he deserves it. He, like you said, he, he believed in himself this season and, and he, you know, really did achieve a lot of goals that I'm sure he set out for. Yeah. It, it pains me though. I mean, he it sucks. He could very easily stay, too. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me either. He's young enough where there's there's good arguments on both sides. He could have, you know, one season next year where he's, you know, leading the USL in goals and he actually gets 20 goals and, you know, continues to get those international caps. And maybe at that point, he's such a can't miss. But that it raises his value at that point. But I... I don't know. We'll see. This is the kind of stuff we were thinking about Kev last year, and it didn't come through. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, if if you know these MLS scouts were smart, they'd invest now because if you wait another year, he's gonna want a lot more money, and he will be worth it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, thank you for joining on this. I'm sure we're gonna bring in an interesting striker too if if Fleming's or John leaves. Um, and it's kind of hard to speculate on which person that would be, but, uh, you know, maybe that was some of the people that were talking to um, to Bobby Dooley at the end of the match yesterday. You know, maybe Michael Chang was saying, yep, hey, that what's was up? the name I just thought of, Chang. Or and Douglas I mean... Martinez, who's still super young and fits the Phoenix yep. Rising mold. Yeah, no, I I think, you know, and, you know, maybe even Jack Blake, too. I know he's an older guy, but, you know, he's another force in the midfield. There's there's plenty of guys that I think, you know, um, we're going to be looking around for. I'm sure, you know, Bobby Dooley and his team's putting out the feelers right now and, and trying to figure out, you know, who's who's interested in making a move to Phoenix and who's going to work for this team. Um, but I think, you know, what what ultimately a lot of these 
incoming signings may depend on is you know our departures and you know who stays and who goes and um i'm I'm sure you know these guys will want to keep keep together a lot of the core guys from this team just because you know we've you know all grown to uh become a family and you know we've seen the closeness of this team but but this also is a business and it's sports and uh we need to get the best results we can and you know some of these players may move on to rival teams and we uh we're gonna have to accept that it's gonna suck but that's uh that's the nature of the beast for sure um i mean thanks for joining it's really cool to do this exercise i think last year you know with the cup happening the way it did this was actually recorded as a separate episode last year and then it was a lost episode so yeah. <laughs> fans didn't really get like didn't really get this exercise but i think it's important for looking at how things are going to go moving forward and it's important we do it now because these signings get announced early and earlier. Yeah, I mean, I was I was literally thinking on my way home from Casino Arizona Field Friday night. So how how many you know months until preseason starts? And it's really only three months, you know, the, the till you know we beginning of February when we really start to see you know these early tune up matches and and we know you know most of our signings. So it's really such a short you know window of the off season that uh business is going to be done and it's going to be done quick and you know with more and more teams going out um there's going to be more guys that are going to be negotiating their contracts and you know announcements will be coming no doubt about it well thank you so much for joining i mean what an incredible season we will not have an episode next week i'm getting married um and then maybe we'll do the week after we're definitely going to go to that off-season schedule of every other week-ish until preseason gets rolling. But uh, And then if there's any huge team news, we can throw something in there. But, I mean, guys, thanks for supporting us through another great season, a historic one. Um, we probably won't get this many points next year when it's all said and done, but it'll be a fun ride, and hopefully we reach that end goal. Yep. Thanks, everyone. It was it was a great ride, and we'll be back uh, back for more soon. All right. As always, uprising. Uprising. The Rising is One podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Risings One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS. USL and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL.